Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning and you are with, this morning, the... Illustrious. Yes. Uh, what was I going to say? I think it was the... Yeah, anyway. The original, the original double L team right here, Lyle and Lawson. Yo, what's going on? Yeah, I, well, hey, um, just back in the seat again, Lawson. Yeah, I know. I'm loving it. I'm so excited. I guess, you know what? I'll go first. You know what I'm grateful for, Lyle? What? Being here. I'm being here. So happy. Like, um, yeah, what, well, what this represents for me is that, uh, yeah, the opportunities come up to come back to radio, to be here full time in the swing of it. And dude, I am just stoked. I am so pumped. I actually, dude, I stayed up. Were you, were you this pumped when your alarm went off this morning? No, actually, like even I stayed up late last night because I was thinking about radio. I was like, man, this is so good. I get to go back to radio. I get to like, obviously, super early mornings in any context aren't incredibly desirable. But for radio, like, yeah, I'm so stoked to be here. That's so, fantastic. Well, so, uh, so that's your thankfulness this morning. Ask me what I'm thankful. Yeah, what are you thankful for? I have a oh, list. Oh, I have a long list of things to be thankful for <laughs> awesome. this morning. Um, at the very top of the list, mm-hmm. my oldest son got engaged. Yes, of course. I saw yes. her on Facebook over the weekend. Yes. That's epic. So uh, we are super stoked. We're going to have another daughter in our family. She is amazing, and that's going to be epic. So awesome. that's, the, that's the first thing on top of my list. What, are, what else are you thankful for? International Pie Day. Oh, of course. <laughs> so International Pie Day was yesterday. Uh, my wife produces shells. She makes the most epic pies on the planet. And yesterday she excelled herself above imagination. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's look at some uh, good news from around the world. Okay, this is news that I I love, this genre of news. This is combining a few things that are really awesome, and that is, basically, Canada has launched a vigilante satellite. A a vigilante? vigilante satellite. This sounds a little bit scary. I'm wondering whether what the positive uh, spin on this one is. Yes, so a vigilante satellite. What does it do? Does it go around and just uh, like if you're a bad satellite, it's like, well, I'll blow you out of the. S- I was going to say no. sky, but then I'm in the sky. Okay, in space. so this isn't a vigilante for other satellites, but rather the express purpose of this satellite is to detect boats who are fishing illegally. Really? Commercial fishing illegally, not just like... The, so why do the they call boons. this a vigilante one? Was this privately funded? Um, well, like the design was come up privately, but then it was... No, no, no. Now it's... I, I, I gave it that term because I thought it was interesting. But now it's been fully sponsored by the Canadian government. It's working with a number of organizations. Um, and essentially, like this is a high-tech, out-of-space you know, satellite that floats around and detects um, illegal... Um, fishing boats who have like you know turned their transmitters and everything off to illegally fish have you ever poached uh no not in my life never poached <laughs> never never fished without a license um, or, um well i don't think so my well my like oh man i don't go fishing often but my dad is a massive fisherman but when we like the last time i went fishing with him was when i was 15 which i don't know if you need a license for if my dad has a license I, I don't know the law. I don't know the fishing laws in New South Wales because I don't really fish in New South Wales either. I used to do a 
huge amount of fishing when I lived in Tasmania, mm. and you needed a license for uh, you know freshwater fishing that kind of stuff, but not for salt water. So yeah, of course. I think all those laws have probably changed by now, but that was back in the day when uh, well, that was the late eighties, early nineties. But yeah, any longtime Novocastrian, uh, as my dad is and and tells me a lot, who is a keen fisherman would kind of know the story of Lake Macquarie. Essentially, like dude, Lake Macquarie as it is now, you know, budding with fish, really awesome, you know, ecological system. Um, and then, but then with the introduction of professional fishing, like dad tells me stories about how, like, you know, the, the fish population in, in Lake Macquarie has, you know, drastically degraded over time. And even though they've brought in laws that has completely outlawed that and stopped that, it's still nowhere near what it used to be. Um, professional fishing, um, and particularly in the illegal and, uh, unmonitored sense is very, you know, ecologically damaging, damaging incredibly massively. Damaging. Um, yes. Not only ecologically damaging, but it, it makes up a huge economic, um, you know, portion of the like portion of the market from because I was like, man, okay, you're launching a satellite to detect illegal fishing boats. Like, how profitable is that? Um, but I found out that this satellite, all in all, it's running costs. Um, but then I come to fa- find out that yeah, um, illegal fishing makes up thirty percent of all fishing activity, um, which uh, um, equates to twenty six million tons of fish caught annually, which is about twenty three billion dollars of fish. Yeah, that's insane. So essentially, like, you know, you can read this two ways. You can be like, oh, it's the man clamping down on people trying to make money. But ultimately, I feel like this is a good thing. It's protecting, um, it's, it's protecting, it's protecting natural resources. You know, yes. we were, we were placed on this earth to be managers. The Bible says that, you know, we were to be stewards. A steward is a mm-hmm. manager, a manager of the earth, a manager of the resources that are on earth. And hey, let me encourage everybody this morning, eat seaweed. Yes. Hey, let me encourage everybody this morning, eat seaweed. Yes, I love seaweed. I eat seaweed like every day as a snack. If you like that seafood flavor, go with seaweed. Oh, seaweed's so That's good. That's a, uh, a great option right there. <laughs> mm. And uh, leave the fishing for, you know, people to go snorkeling and diving and all mm. that kind of and stuff. And see cute turtles. <laughs> pretty fish. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that there are people out there who, you know, this is a, an important form of recreation for them. Mm. And I think by clamping down on illegal commercial fishermen, it's going to increase the recreational market or you know, increase the, the opportunity for recreational mm-hmm. uh, fishermen and anglers and so forth. And I think that that's, you know, an important way that a lot of people maintain their mental health. Yeah. It's, Particularly it's, for guys. You know, guys can go to the beach or go to the pier or go wherever they go, sit on a tinny and hold a, a, a line in their hand for hours on end and that's how guys can really rejuvenate emotionally. Dude, that's my dad, bro. 2 a.m., he's in the tinny, in the lake, you know, creeping around, turning off the engine, throwing out a line, letting all the fish gather around, you know, early hours of the morning because it's such a good mental health thing. And I feel like it's just to stop illegal commercial fishing. It's just a win, 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 win. Like in every single way, no one is put out by that. It's just like people eat more vegetables if you stop commercial <laughs> yeah, fishing because exactly. you know There's fish less will become waste. Oh man, it's awesome. Um, okay, I just have a, a quick story that I want to touch on uh, that I think is is really important because it's something that I'm quite passionate passionate about. But essentially, um, a group of Americans were uh, surveyed, and sixty five percent of them found that 
um, coronavirus was a massive wake up call for them um, in terms of how they should be reaching out to their communities um, and in terms of you know the the benefits of of helping their communities um, and of that group. Um, not of the 65%, but of the total group, 52% of them, uh, reported that they are now volunteering in their communities, uh, in their local communities, doing things like food pantry, delivering food to essential workers, um, and helping the elderly and incapacity, uh, incapacitated maintain their homes. Um, yeah, 52% of them are doing that for the very first time, um, and are making that a part of their life. And I am so excited to see that because, Really, volunteering is the lifeblood of charity. Um, it is so incredible. It's such an incredible experience. It, like it, it is good. Just as fishing is, like volunteering is something that's fantastic for yourself um, to give back. You know, I, I um, being you know having worked for the church in volunteer capacities, like full time volunteer capacities, I can say that yeah, it's one of the, some of the best memories I have. But also, um, there's nothing more valuable than time equity. Like we can give so much money, but ultimately when we give our time to something, it's, it's something as simple as just going and helping people um, with their food, with whatever it may be. The um, valuable resource we have is yes. our time. And I love that like, obviously, you know, without a doubt, there would have been a drop in volunteers during the COVID period, but now we're seeing it spike again, which is so, so, so awesome. We need to see more of it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, uh, Lyle, what's going on in uh, serious news, current news? Okay, so there's a couple of stories here. Mm. Um, the first is that, obviously, uh, over today, the next couple of days, there's going to be a series of marches mm-hmm. um, across major cities. There'll be one here in Newcastle. Yeah. And I think the first one started in Western Australia. And this is by women from around Australia who are protesting gendered violence. Okay, yes. So I think that this is appropriate by saying gendered violence because this is violence that is perpetrated on somebody, you know, kind of most often domestically but within a, you know, a a gendered environment. Mm -hmm. And for most of the time it's violence against women. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Not always. Yes. And that's why they've called it gendered violence, because not always, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just want to say that all violence is wrong. Yeah, 100%. And we should be standing up against all forms of violence. Mm. The uh, violence towards vulnerable members of our population is a special kind of evil. Yeah, yeah. There's a special kind of coward that goes after the vulnerable members of our population. And so, obviously, women, children, the elderly, the disabled, it probably goes in about that order. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there should be a very special place within our prison system for people who go after the vulnerable members of our society. Mm. And, of course, you know, there are many men out there who are vulnerable members of our society as well. Yes. There is, you know, if bullying and violence is always wrong, and it's a good thing to stand up against all forms of violence. So um, I, hope, I hope that that is the direction that these uh, protests go, and if it is, then I am all for it. Mm. Okay, so the Alabama yoga ban is officially <laughs> I was nearly so- over. <laughs> Nearly over. Nearly over. I'm so shocked by this. I've never heard of a yoga ban. Yes, the land of the free, and they ban yoga. Uh-huh. Um, and so this is, uh, so back in 1993, <laughs> state of Alabama banned yoga 
Uh-huh. In uh, schools. Okay. And you might say, wow, you know, yoga is pretty innocuous. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know, from a Christian perspective, mm. there are aspects of yoga that I absolutely fundamentally and totally totally reject this is yes. a this is not just an exercise if it's done religiously it is yes. also a you know it's a it's a part of the hindu buddhist jainist religious system yeah it's a form of worship it's a form of worship and so i don't practice it mm-hmm. you know i would never go there i would never teach it to my children mm-hmm. but can you ban it in schools can you ban it from the state absolutely not you can't ban yoga unless you ban Christianity as well. Yes. There is this thing wow. called freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if we don't stand up for freedom of religion, then we're going to be in trouble ourselves because as soon as we take freedom of religion from somebody else, we've set a precedent by which they can take away our freedom of religion. Yes. Now, of course, this was passed through Alabama because Alabama is majority Christian. Mm-hmm. And because they're majority Christian, the majority is able to protect themselves. However, the United States Constitution was not put in place. The First Amendment was not placed there guaranteeing religious liberty. It was not there placed there to protect the majority. It was placed there to protect the minority because the mm. majority never needs protecting. Mm. It's protecting simply by the fact that it is the majority. I would love to know whether this law was made like preemptively, like they just saw the popularization of yoga in general and were just like, oh, let's get rid of this before it even shows up here. Or if they were like responding to an issue in Alabama, like that, like that's what I would really love to know. Yeah. I don't know. I was in the United States back in 1993 and you know, Eastern meditation, all that kind of stuff, was definitely on the rise. There were a mm-hmm. number of books that were circulating at the time, which were very well written, looking into, you know, the spiritualistic base of uh, religious yoga. Yes. And uh, as a result of that, as a Christian, I reject it. Yes. Mm. Um, there is, you know, the Bible speaks about meditation, and the Bible is very... Pro meditation, but it is not pro Eastern meditation. There's a difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation. Yes. You know, the whole concept of emptying your mind, I believe, is a very, very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, when the Bible talks about, you know, meditating on the law of God, that that's a very, very positive thing because now you've got something that is very positive to fill your mind with and we should mm-hmm. have our mind full. The Bible says if you empty your mind, it's likely to be filled by seven devils. Yeah, wow. You know, that's, 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 uh, part of the danger of it. And so, yeah, I reject this. I oppose it. I preach against it. Mm. But I also preach that religious liberty is an important principle that is part of the, is, is the foundation of the government of God. Yes. yes. Without freedom of choice, there is no such thing as love. Mm-hmm. And God is love. Mm. I would love to know if, if, if this law comes to an end and then if yoga becomes a practice in schools, if it'll have anything to do with religion anyway, because I know I used to kind of get into it for like stretching, like for an, from an exercise point of view, because it was just fantastic. It's fantastic for your body. Non-religious, like non-religious, non-religious yoga, yoga, like just doing it as, as an exercise. Um, like it's really good. So I'm like, and I feel like for most people it's removed from that anyway. So, well, I guess it depends what yoga class you go to. Yeah, 100%. Um, you have secular ones, you have religious ones, whatever. Um, I sort of 
It, it, it is what it is, but, <laughs> you know, the good thing about the legislation is that they are saying if you're going to introduce yoga into your school, you're going to have to allow students to have an alternative if they choose not to do so. And I think that's just as important. Wow, that's that's actually that's Because awesome. I would love to see, you know, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I think every public school should have a class on Seventh-day Adventist Bible teachings, yeah. that would be really wrong if there wasn't an alternative yes, made available where they could have no religious teaching or if they could have you know, Roman Catholic or Anglican or whatever religious teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't force. The state should never, ever be enforcing one particular faith. The, the state should be enabling the free exercise of all faiths. Mm. That's the principle of yeah, religious amen. liberty. Okay, so one more quick story that I do want to cover before I uh, uh, finish off here. You know, the Bible says that in Romans 1 verse 21, because that when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Mm. And that is the world in which we live today, a very foolish world. Um, according to the Arizona Department of Education um, Equity Toolkit, babies are now being born racist. But only white babies. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so by three months, white babies look more at white faces, and so therefore they are racist, and we need to do something about that. And I'm kind of wondering, okay, how do you actually solve that problem? You know, I mean, <laughs> this is just really, really crazy, insane things that are happening in our world yeah, well, right now. And You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Uh, we're going to just finish off this story. We just sort of touched on it. Yeah. And it's a pretty wild story. Yes. And it's like, okay, how do you actually unpack that? So I thought we might spend a little bit of time unpacking this story about racist babies. Mm-hmm. And this just this just is one of those stories that illustrates just how insane our world becomes when we walk away from God. Yes. Uh, that, you know, we have this equity toolkit from the Arizona Department of Education that says, well, you know, white babies, they uh, respond better to, you know, white faces than they do black faces by the age of three months. Well, that's probably because their parents, if they're a white baby, they've probably got yes. white parents and their white parents are feeding them and their white parents are changing their nappy and holding them. And so that's naturally what's going to happen. So how, what's your solution to this? I mean, this is, this is the new original sin of wokeness that we have in our world right now. <laughs> is so epic like just what you said <laughs> the new original sin of wokeness but the, the reality is is that ultimately this applies to every baby of every race ever uh, yes yeah. that's right like, like, so <laughs> it makes no sense there's an argument oh for racist babies because <laughs> yes, every, every baby's racist then okay but, so yeah, um, our identity the long and the short of it is that our identity should be in Jesus Christ yeah, and nowhere else 100% okay we do have uh, Etienne McClintock joining us on the phone now from Voice of the Martyrs Etienne welcome to the show Good morning, Lyle. Thank you for having me on the show. Ah, uh, no, it's great, great to have you on the show. We were a bit worried about you there for a bit, but uh, glad we got through. What's been happening in the world uh, over the last month? What's our, what's, what are some of the things that have been happening in the world from the standpoint of Voice of the Martyrs? Look, we've uh, we've been looking at how we can uh, answer some of the challenges and objectives. Uh, you know, we have at Voice of the Martyrs to help our persecuted people around the world. There's been such a growth in persecution 
You're 60% more likely to be executed for your faith in Christ just in the last 12 months. Now, I'm not sure if I set, uh, shared these stats with you, um, but I can give you this average stats on a daily basis. Um, 13 Christians will die for their faith today just simply because you know they won't deny Christ, uh, they won't convert back to Hinduism or Islam. Um, 12 Christians will be unjustly arrested and detained and imprisoned. Uh, five Christians will be kidnapped. So we're talking about averages here because at times, you know, in places like Nigeria, there'll be a huge kidnapping. So you could have like 200 people being kidnapped. And we just had a case recently in Nigeria where um, 200 uh, school children and some teachers were kidnapped. And uh, after a few days, they were all released for some reason. So we, we, we say for some reason, but, you know, the Christian church goes into a big prayer mode at that time. People pray and fast and ask the Lord to intervene. Mm. And we see that happening from time to time as well. But uh, for 15 years now, we've seen a significant growth in persecution around the world. And things are changing dramatically around the world, even in the West. Now, have we spoken about the the law that's been introduced in um in Victoria uh, just recently? Well, you and I haven't spoken about it, but we've certainly had quite a bit to say about it here on Faith FM. Okay, good, good. Yeah, because, I mean, even things in the West are changing. You know, we're... uh we find if, if a law like this was passed in a country that previously lived under communism, and you know, having spoken to people who've lived there and that, they said there would have been, you know, a lot of protests in the streets, hundreds of thousands of people would have gone out there because they understand what it means to have freedom now, and also what it meant to actually have no freedom under communism. Now, this bill basically takes the rights of um, individuals away, especially family, parents, you know, even to have a conversation with a child who might be struggling with their sexual identity. And then, of course, on top of that, if someone even asks you to pray, there's now some times where you're going to have to make the decision, well, if I do pray, I'm actually breaking the law, even if it was requested by someone. And even if you don't so live in Victoria? Even if you don't live in Victoria, but the person you're praying for is a resident of Victoria. Yeah, exactly. Now, I just want to reiterate what I've said here a number of times on Faith FM, that if somebody likes prayer, if somebody would like prayer for anything... They can call us here at Faith FM. We will pray for you regardless of the issues that you are facing. Yeah, well, wonderful. Exactly. Look, prayer is such a powerful thing. We've seen prayer answered so many times, um, even with people who have been kidnapped or thrown into prison. Um, we just recently ran a program uh, on three men from the West who have been arrested. Uh, one was in the Sudan. He is a, a colleague of ours, Voice of the Martyrs Colleague, who used to look after our um, our projects in Africa, and uh, he was there just for four days just to get some more projects and see how some of the other projects are going and capture some information, and then he was arrested at the airport, and then he was charged as a spy. Now, when they uh, arrested him, they had all the photos. They'd been following him for four days. He didn't even know it, and uh, got thrown into prison, and he was in prison for life, and what happened was that through prayer, and the church rallying and some other things that Voice of the Martyrs did, he was actually released after 445 days in prison. But he was supposed to be there for life. But we know how prayer changes lives. His name's Peter Yasek, and uh, his story is available. We've got a book, I think we've even shared that book with people called Imprisoned with ISIS. And we've, given, we've done some giveaways on that. Yes. But this, uh, in, in this book, you'll actually read where he was imprisoned with uh, another six, seven uh, extremist Muslim fighters. And uh, they would, you know, 
pray uh, five times a day, but uh, during the day they'll just sleep, and then at night they'll be awake till two o'clock in the morning, and of course they wouldn't allow him to sleep. He was in a, in a very, very small cell, only made for one or two people. So, uh, you know, they had contact with each other continuously. And initially they'd beat him and they'd kick him, you know, they feel inside him, they just treat him very poorly. And then all of a sudden, at nine o'clock every night, he would be able to fall asleep. And uh, he thought this was quite unusual that he would be able to sleep till, till about four o'clock in the morning. And it's not until late that he discovered when his family actually knew what had happened to him and the church pastor there, he rallied all the troops at the church and said, look, every night are we going to pray for Peter Yasek? And uh, they set their clocks in the Czech Republic in Prague at 8 o'clock. Now, 8 o'clock is actually 9 o'clock in the Sudan. And uh, they would all pray at 8 o'clock. And that's a time that he could fall asleep. So God was actually helping him get, him get some rest. And he would get up at 4 and they would start probably stirring around 4.30 just before 5 for their first prayers for the day as well. But that's just an example of how important prayer is and now that prayers prohibited under certain circumstances here in Australia should send alarm bells to every Christian and every person that values uh, religious freedom, religious liberty, and even freedom of speech. I mean, if you want to take the freedoms of a nation away, you start with taking their free speech away. And this is really what's happened with parents and children in this instance. Absolutely. And also, um, you know, any person of faith, really, who wants to be able to pray for somebody, for somebody who's in need. Uh, the precedent that has been set here, you know, once now that the precedent has been set, there is no telling where it might stop because you can use that same precedent in law and apply it in a multitude of different ways. All you have to do is to be able to somehow claim that you that that, that you may feel harmed in some way, and it suddenly becomes illegal. So any any in any way in which way in which you can claim that you feel harmed, the precedent is now that it's illegal that those prayers are illegal. That's right, yeah, and people change their mind from time to time. You know, the conviction of the Spirit of God is resisted or initially accepted. You know, it's uh, some of those those seeds that fall on the stony grounds. You know, so they may, it may be a response, but if it doesn't take any root, I think people can change their mind. And of course, you have people who will deliberately go and see if they can solicit their response, acting like they need prayer, but they actually have other sinister ideas. And so you've got to be very careful with that. I mean, the, the second post that Israel Talao put on his social media page was actually someone that solicited a response from him. That was a deliberate setup to actually um, get him into trouble, and he, of course, lost his job through it all. But look, the importance of getting the Word of God out now so people can understand the freedoms, God-given freedoms given to us. Uh, we don't live under theocracy like Israel did in the Old Testament. Understanding those principles, you know, those principles of separation of church and state and what that actually means and how Christ will actually set up a kingdom. But he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So uh, there are some people now that are pushing to actually join church and state and actually have the church to tell the state what to do. Now, whenever you do that, Delilah, we've spoken about this before, you actually have people enforcing religious dogma through the state legislation. And the problem is not everybody sees it the same way, even if the minority or the majority. And then what happens is the outcome of that, if you look at history, is always persecution. So it's important for us to get Bibles out into countries here, but also to get the knowledge of Christ back um, here in the West. And we've gone from a country where 96% of the people at the first census said they were Christians. And next census are supposed to be done this year. 
But the expectation is that it will be less than half the population now that claim to be Christian. And, of course, a lot of those are not uh, are not practicing Christians. They believe in God. They believe in the Christian God of the Bible, but they're not necessarily people who read the Bible, who pray, or even go to church all that often. So what happens is if you do not have a knowledge of the Word of God and its truth, you're going to have some challenges um, because anybody can feed you anything, and what would you base it of, whether it's true or not or false or not, that can only be tested by the Word of God. And uh, one of the projects that we do, of course, as an organization with Voice of the Martyrs is Bibles and Literature. So we get Bibles into those areas where they are illegal. There's 52 countries and territories around the world where the Bible is actually illegal. Uh, we even get literature out or hymn books. People love to sing when they can do that safely, of course. Um, and uh, if, if people donate a dollar, their dollar is spent. So none of it goes into administration. We also have frontline ministries, families of martyrs will be helped, uh, kids that are remained over if the parents have been martyred, or if uh, a, a father has been martyred and the mum's still around, or they are in prison, then we'll step in and help them. And then VOM Medical, where people are injured during persecution, and that happens a lot. You know, you could even live in a country where they have a, a, a constitution that guarantees religious freedom, but there are still individuals within places like, uh, you know, Pakistan or India. Uh, India has got a secular constitution, but there's many places now where it's very dangerous for Christian and growing, where the, uh, the mob bombers will take over. And if they survive, they are severely injured, and that's where we'll step in and help them as well. So those four areas of ministry, uh, a dollar spent is a dollar, sorry, sorry, a dollar donated is a dollar invested. And our fifth one is just a real medical fund, which is the overflow. It's the biggest fund. That's where I actually get a ministry wage from as well to do the work that we do here in Australia and also travel overseas, you know, when COVID-19 restrictions will permit again. But the importance of the Bible, you know, we we told in Psalm 138 verse 2 that God has magnified his word above his name. Now, that's just a profound statement. We know how holy the name of God is. We know that the name in the Bible represents character, tells us what God is like, and God has done something incredible with his word. He's actually magnified it. He's put special emphasis on it. And it's important for people to have access to the word of God. I mean, the Apostle Peter even tells us that we are born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And many people, when they hear the word of God preached or when they read it for themselves, they have a trans- uh, conversion in their lives. And many people sometimes to prove that Islam is superior, for example, and they read the Bible. Uh, their lives are transformed. It changes simply by the living word of God. And uh, so important to get the word out there. We also find when people are persecuted, those who have access to the word of God are normally uh, more resilient and able to resist uh, the challenges and the threats that are facing them and their family to remain faithful to the Lord and trust Him in all circumstances. Adrian, it's an amazing job that uh, Voice of the Martyrs is doing in getting the Bible out there to people. Just a very quick question. I noticed that there were a lot of organisations that uh, had the opportunity to make submissions to the Victorian government back before the um, anti-conversion bill came through. Um you know, people like ACL, Freedom for Faith, the Adventist Church made a submission, etc. Did was Voice of the Martyrs uh, in a position to do so? Yes, yes, uh, and we worked through a number of these agencies as well. We do have an association with some of them, just an association. Some of them very close, like Christian Faith and Freedom. Uh, we have a very close association with, uh, and then worked through some of these agencies. We also have um, Family Voice that we work with, and of course ACL Martin Isles has. Uh, uh, has spoken at our conferences and that, and um, yeah, so mm. very important. Look, the, the, 
I'm going I'm to have to. I'm going to have to finish up, Etienne, because we're out of time. Unfortunately, we did get on, get onto you a little bit late today. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. 